welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Sunday the 21st of February 2010, entitled, When You're Ready for a Cure, Give Me a Call. And the Bible reading is taken from Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. I don't know of anybody in anywhere that I go that I've been more honored to be with than the people at Bethel Free. And the members here have been like family, literally like family to me. I've got a lot of friends. But they say that if you can count your true friends on one hand, you're rich. And uh, I could probably count on my, both my hands and my, thing, and my toes just here in England, the true friends I have, and I thank God for you. Um, I really do appreciate kind words pastors given to me. I'm nobody. Uh, don't really care if I'm ever known. I just want to be used. And I hope and pray that this week's been encouraging, edifying, and built up to where you can go back and you, you can charge hell's gates with what you've learned. Uh, because young people, what you don't realize that uh, Christian life's not a comfort zone, it's a combat zone. This is not. This is not a game. Um, as we found out yesterday in, in in the city center of Birmingham, this is not a game. People's eternal destiny weighs in the balance, and God has given us privilege. You know, I often wondered. God could have used, I don't know, preacher Russ a whole different type of angelic agent to come and give out the gospel of Jesus Christ. He could have proclaimed it audibly from heaven and just, pro- just told everybody, be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth. He could have done that. He could have shouted it from heaven. But instead, he chose to put his treasure in two if I can say it right, two-pound clay pots. He chose us to give people the truth. For this treasure that we have in these earthen vessels, God wants to use us to give it to others. And not just harbor it for ourselves, not be greedy, but to give it out. Do that when you go back wherever you go. Promise me. Don't, don't be someone that just shuts your door, shuts your mouth, and don't say anything for Jesus Christ. Be somebody that'll be an outspoken witness for the cause of Christ. Because your life is a demonstration of the power of God. A saved life is, is the most, most incredible, powerful tool that God can use is a converted born-again believer who has been, ca- has been pulled out of darkness into his marvelous light to be used for the King of kings and Lord of lords. Young people, you've got a tremendous opportunity, but a sobering reality that we carry the gospel to those that don't have it. Don't forget that. The Bible says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glor- glorify. God forbid that I should glorify. Who gets it then? to glorify our Father which is in heaven. Now I want you to look at our text. 
Jeremiah 33, 3. Jeremiah is known as a weeping prophet. He cried over his people. So likewise, Jesus did too. Jesus wept when he saw the multitudes. He wept when he looked over Jerusalem. Because what he saw with his eye affected his heart. And if you don't believe that we have a task and we don't have a, a call to duty, you wait till you get out there tomorrow. Will you get a family member to come to you and laugh at you because you're a Jesus follower? We've got a call. But folks, not, listen, our call is one to self-discipline. I've talked about it all weekend, young people. Self-discipline, not self-reliance, self-discipline. We can't rely on us. Matter of fact, I know that it says that there's nothing that pro that's profitable in the flesh. We've got to do what we do in the Spirit of God. Everything I've said this week and weekend is dovetailed on one, to one on top of the other. Jeremiah 33, 3, look at it. He says, Steve, call unto me. Now, that ain't a suggestion, it's a command. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, you know what I think that we have... We have forsaken one of the greatest commandments that Jesus Christ could ever give us in the Scripture. God, the God of heaven, has told us to call upon Him, to call unto Him. But very few times do we ever seriously get down and have a talk with Jesus, as the songwriter said. Do we very seldom get down and we really pray and storm hell's gates and get a hold of horns of the altar and say, God, I'm not letting go until you bless me. When's the last time we really got down, Peter, and we said, Lord, like Jacob said, I ain't letting go. I'm not getting up until I'm changed. When's the last time we really did that? The, the, listen, I know, buddy. The script, listen, the Scripture says, call unto me. Call unto me, Dino. Well, you know what he's saying? He's saying, why don't you talk to me? You know, it's an amazing thing, but back when I was in, in the Marine Corps and I was stationed over on the left coast, I mean the west coast of the United States of America, California. We call it the granola state in America. It's a land of fruits, flakes, and nuts. That's, that's, it's a granola. Anyway, I was stationed in California, and when I was over there, I literally saw, a, uh, I saw an article in the newspaper. I couldn't believe Panos. This article read, if you've got a problem, call us today, 1-800-whatever-the-number-was. And the name of their company was the Worry Company Incorporated. The Worry Company, W-O-R-R-Y, the Worry Company Incorporated. You know what they would say? They would say, if you've got a problem and you don't want to worry about it, you call us and we'll worry for you. That's the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. Can you imagine getting on the phone with an operator and they say, Hello, this is the Worry Company Incorporated. How may I help you? And you say, Well, I've got some bills I can't pay. Would you worry for me? No problem. Just tell us what it is. Thank you. God bless. It don't work that way. Do you know what, folks? We've got a promise in Scripture. 1 Peter 5 says, and says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. 
If you want a 1-800 number, you can call at any time and get your prayers answered. There is your number. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's what we've got to do, folks. We've got to call unto him. When's the last time you got down desperately and you was like David? Hey, listen, when he prayed that God would restore unto him the joy of, his, of thy salvation and uphold him with thy free spirit, he wasn't just some person that was down there casually praying and saying, Lord, bless the missionaries, bless my needs, meet every need you got, in Jesus' name, amen. It wasn't some generic prayer. He was down begging God to restore the joy of thy salvation to him. Folks, when's the last time you got down and you desperately called on the God of heaven? When's the last time? When's the last time we got a hold of the horns of the altar, Steve, and we prayed dependently upon God? Not a prayer request like I said this week, kids. You know what? We sometimes get in a meeting and we'll drop these little hints. You know what, preacher? I got a prayer request. Yes, sir. Uh, what is it? Um, I'd like for you to pray. Um, uh, you know, my kids... Uh, are, are walking to school now and, and their shoes are, are, uh, are kind of worn out and just pray that God would meet that. You know what you're doing? You're pulling at the heartstrings of people and somebody that's sitting in the presence of you is going to meet that need. Why don't we talk to God about it instead of people about it? God can meet our need. Folks, I could get up here and I've seen, pre I've seen preachers get up and they go, you know what? And this is what is amazing to me. We'll get preachers in America to come in the pulpit, and this is what they'll do. Well, I just want y'all to pray for our ministry. Yeah, we got a lot of needs, you know. Uh, we've been on the field for 48 years. Uh, pray for me. My, I, my shoes are wore out, and we need some new shoes. Matter of fact, pray for my wife. She don't even have any shoes. No, she don't even have none. You know, and they, they talk like that, and the whole time it's like they're just slinking behind the pulpit. It's like, you know... It's like, they're, what's wrong with these people? And then they've got the audacity, Dino, the audacity to get up at the end of their message and say, and young people, why don't you give your heart to God? Well, why would I? Why would I when you look like you've been sucking on lemons for four months? I don't understand why we don't call unto Him. We'll talk to everybody else about our needs, but we won't take it to Jesus Christ. How many times have you prayed and then fret? Pray and fret. Pray and fret. Can I say this? Oh, ye of little faith. We have got to believe when we pray desperately, God will hear. Do you know they found George Mueller's prayer journal, Tyler? And do you realize in his prayer journal, he had recorded over 40,000 answers to prayer in his prayer journal. For one thing, Pastor, he prayed 25,000 times. You know what we do, Steve? If God don't answer next week, we're done with that prayer request. We ain't praying for it again. Peter, he prayed for one thing 25,000 times. And you know what he wrote in his journal? I will not cease to pray for that man until he comes to Christ. And guess what, Carl? Four years after he died, God answered his prayer and that man came to Calvary. Call unto me. And I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. If I could title my message, it would be this. When you get ready for a cure, give me a call. When you get ready for a cure, give me a call. How many times have we sat around and we've worried about stuff and we've tried to uh, 
real, tried to figure out how we could meet the need or how our brethren could meet the need instead of taking it to God and Him alone. He said, Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Folks, I believe one of the most important things in your life, look at me, one of the most important things in your life is to have an intercessory prayer life where you don't pray for you, you pray for somebody else. That is one of the most vital tools in the Christian armament, Romani, is to have an intercessory prayer life. I remember when we was teaching my, my kids to pray, my son was about five and a half. And it was, you know, I believe it's right to teach people how to pray. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to learn how to pray. And he said, you pray our Father which art in heaven. He started to give them the Lord's prayer. And you know what, folks? He was teaching his disciples a pattern. So we got our kids down. We taught them to pray. Well, finally, after a little while, it was time that I felt like my son was comfortable to pray when we went to bed. So I got down on our knees, and here we are with my son, five and a half, six years old. And he's praying, and... He'd always pray that little prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord. My, and he started praying. And he said, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. And he couldn't remember the rest of it. And I said, it's okay, son. Don't get upset. I said, just, just, just start all over. And he went just like this, Dave. He went, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And he paused. He couldn't remember what, what was next. And then he said this. He went, and if he hollers, let him go. Any meanie, miny mo. You want to know what? I know that's, that's kind of cute and funny, but you know what? I believe God was pleased because you know what? He was just praying to his father. He was just talking to him. Didn't matter what he said. He, it was from here. And you know, many times when we pray, we want to. You ever heard these guys that get up and they preach when they pray? Preach a four point outline in their prayer. Well, the preacher's going to preach in a minute, sir. You don't need to pre pre you know, preach a prayer. Uh, yeah, whatever. Then during your prayer. Why can't we just say, call unto Him? Why can't we just call unto Him? Because He said, if you do that, I will answer you. I will. He didn't say, I might, John. He said, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. Do you know that there is nothing? I has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. You don't know what God's got in store. There's a story told, and I don't know if this really lines up with the Bible. It don't, but you know what? It's kind of sobering. A man went to heaven, and he's being led down the streets of gold by angelic beings, and he comes to a palatial estate. He looks into the windows and there are gift-wrapped packages, Steve, all inside of this house. And he says to the angel, he said, that house is full of packages that are unwrapped. And the angel said, oh yeah, that was for, that was for, the, that was for God's children, but they never asked him for them. They never asked him. Scripture says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which you know not. Now, I'm going to kind of shift gears and take a left turn here. There's a lot of things that we don't know that God wants to give us that when we look back years down the road and we look back, we're going to go, man, I know what He was doing now. I've often said this. I've often said, Dave, that the will of God is easier looking that way than it is looking that way. You can always figure, listen, you can always figure it out when you look back, but when you're looking forward and you're walking by faith, you know what? You say, what's going on here? That's when you got to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path.
call unto me. Jeremiah says, go to God. God told the prophet to tell the people, call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you know not. But you know what? Tonight, because we have His promise, there's some things that we can know. He says there's some things that we might not know about Him ever giving us. But can I tell you that we have some things that we know tonight. Alright? I want you to turn to Philippians chapter number 3. And I want to show you just a couple verses and then we're going to go to the house. Alright? I promise. Philippians chapter number 1. We've gone full circle, Preacher Russ, from where we started last Sunday morning. Full circle. I want you to look at what the, the writer says. Now understand, when Jeremiah wrote what he just wrote, he was in... He was in captivity. He was enslaved. But can I say this? Who's writing this book to the church at Philippi is a man by the name of Paul, and he is chained and shackled to a wall in a jail cell. And he writes this in verse number 4. I want you to look at it. He says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. Now we know the flesh profits nothing. But he said, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, Paul said, I more, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, and as touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. Now let me tell you something. Look up at me. Paul said, there is nothing that profit, that's profited good in the flesh. However, if anybody could boast in their flesh, he said, I could. He said, you're looking at a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He said, you're looking at somebody that was of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and to put icing on the cake, if you will, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I kept the law. I was blameless. I wonder if anybody in here can say that. Nope. He said, and as touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless, he said, I was even so zealous that I persecuted the church. He said, man, I was a man's man. He said, but those things which were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but what? Refuse. Human waste. That I, Panos, may win Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, there's some things we know tonight. If you want to get the... Listen, if you want to get the wind of heaven on your life and you want to hear God answer your prayers when you call unto Him and He shows you great and mighty things that you know not, let me tell you something that you've got to do. You know, I used to think, and I mean this as humbly as I can say it, and she's not here to defend herself, but I used to think I knew my wife before we got married. Huh? You men that are married, I get a hearty amen out of you on that one. I used to think, Tyler, I knew my wife before we got married. But, buddy, once we got married, I found out a lot of things I didn't know about her. Huh? I found out that my wife could probably outdrive anybody in a Formula One car on any road in the United States or in Europe. My wife can flat drive faster than anybody I know. I did not know that she would at night steal all the covers off the bed while I'm trying to get warm. I mean, I'm over there freezing and she's bundled up under a, 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 a holy's blankets. I didn't know she had cold feet. I'll be honest with you. 
But do you know what? After I got married, I found out a lot about her. But guess what, folks? Steve, the more I get to learn about her and know her, the more I love her. The more I love her. Now, young people, before we go home and you go to your homes and you go to your little villages, I want to ask you something tonight. Do you, do you, know, do you know who you serve? I didn't ask if you know Him by name. I'm wondering if you know Him intimately. Do you really know who He is? Because I promise you, Romani, the more you get to know about Him, the more you love Him. I want you to look at what Paul said. Look at verse number 8. Or verse number 9. He said, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but with that which is a, through the faith of, of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Look at verse number 10. That I may know Him. That I may know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. Now I want you to listen to me tonight. I've just got just a few, few things I want to give to you. I guess it was back in 1999, Dino, I met a Chinese pastor who, at the time, I didn't realize it, but we went and had dinner two nights after I met him for the first time at the missions conference. He went and had dinner with uh, me and, and Dr. Comfort from Ambassador Baptist College. We went to dinner, Pastor Larry, and while we were at dinner through an interpreter, I started asking some questions of this Chinese pastor. What I did not realize that he had spent almost 13 and a half years in prison for doing nothing more than what I'm doing tonight. At the time that he went into prison, his daughter was six and a half years of age. When he got out, his, his daughter was already married, had one child on the way. I looked at him, Steve, and I said, if you could sum up your time in prison, what would you say? And through an interpreter, he said this. He said, while I was in prison... He said there was nobody. He said, I was almost in solitary confinement for almost 12 years of that 13 and a half. He said, there was a guy that was almost, a, I guess, 100 yards down, down on the other block. And he said, we had 10 cups. And we learned to do a little Morse code thing that we'd talk back and forth to one another. He said, that's the only communication I had with anybody. They gave us a little bit of bread each day, some water. We didn't have a lot of sustenance. He said, but you know what I found out? He said, while I was in there, though I had nothing, he said, I had everything. I went, had everything? He said, yeah. He said, I had Jesus. Well, do what? You had everything. You're in prison. There's nobody around you. He said every single day, it was almost like he covered, his, he covered me with his wings. He sheltered me. And he said the things that I used to preach and I thought were gone, he said began, began to rush through my mind and all the scriptures. He said all the promises that I remembered that he gave me that I could go back to. And he said, though I had nothing, he said I had everything because I had Jesus. I want to ask you a question tonight. Do you know him like that? Do you know him like that? Here's a man who's been in prison almost three quarters of the time that I've been in the ministry myself, Carl, and he spent it in prison for doing what I'm doing tonight. But he said, this is what he was basically saying, Panos, I had such an intimate relationship with my Savior that when I went in there and there was nobody else around, all I needed was him. 
Folks, can I ask you something? Have you got to the point in your life where you realize all you need is Him? All you really need is Him. You say, how do I, how does a person get to know somebody like that? The same way Paul did in prison. Look at what he said in chapter number 3, verse 10. Look at it. I've got a few points and then I'll be done. Y'all believe that, right? Yeah, y'all laughing already. Number one, if you want to know him like that pastor did and like Paul the apostle did while he was in prison, you've got to do one thing. You've got to spend some time in his presence. Some time in his presence. Folks, can I tell you that this book right here is not a publication. This book right here is about a person. Every single page of Scripture you open up and read, He's on it. From Genesis all the way to Revelation. In Genesis chapter number 3, uh, Brother Dino, it calls on Him and it says, God told the serpent in the garden, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, God gave a prophetic utterance of the Messiah was coming. In Job chapter 19, verse 25, it says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he that he shall stand in that latter day upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Hey, do you know Him like that? Do you know Him because you spent some time in His presence? I can't be impressive because I've got my dear friends from Greece here. I know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. One owns a restaurant and the other a clothing store. Amen? But my Greek friends are here and they'll tell you what the word know there means. It means to know by experience. Gnosko. It literally means to know him by experience. Not just you've read a story about him. That you know him by experience. Can I tell you something? We ought to know him so well that when he does show up, he said my spirit will not always strive with men. Folks, we're seeing that today right as we speak. We are in a, listen, we are in a time when Paul told the church and he spoke to Timothy and he said, Timothy, you know this, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Can I park there just a minute? Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Truce breakers, abusers of themselves. He said, ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. How many people do we know that's intellectual and trying to figure it out all their way and they've got about a hundred books they're reading and they forsake this book? This book ain't a publication, folks. This book is a person. And from Genesis to Revelation, it's about none other than the King of kings and Lord of lords, the overseer of the overcomers. He's the master of the mighty. He's the gateway to glory. He's the highway to heaven. He's the pathway of peace. And he'll never be impeached. And he ain't about to resign. He's the king and he's on the throne. Revelation 19, 11 says, And I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon it was called faithful and true. In righteousness he did judge and make war. Set his eyes were as a fame of fire. Stephen on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them, Tim, with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's my king. 
And I wonder if you know Him like that tonight. Do you know Him as a historical figure? Or do you know Him because He lives within your heart? A little kid came to the teacher one day and said, you know, it's an amazing thing, teacher, that God's big enough to set in the heavens, but small enough to live in my heart. Isn't that amazing? If you're going to know Him like that, folks, you've got to know Him by spending some time in His presence. But I can't stop there. You've got to know Him, not only by His presence, but through His power. Look at the rest of verse number 10. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. You know what, folks, I used to when I was younger? I used to preach that, oh, devil tried to keep the, the Lord Jesus Christ in that tomb. And on the third day, Jesus got up and He kicked that stone away and He walked out of the tomb. You know what? That ain't biblical. When Jesus Christ came out of that grave, Steve, the grave stone wasn't rolled away so He could get out. It was rolled away so I could get in. Hallelujah. Y'all better get excited about it. I know it's Sunday night and you're tired, but you know what? We are in Jesus Christ. We don't just know Him. We're in Jesus Christ. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. Can I ask you something? We all know the fact of the resurrection, don't we? But I wonder if you know the force of the resurrection. Just last year, I was driving to New York. We left from New York to fly here last year. On my way, Tim, up to New York, the rest of the family, my wife's real spiritual, you know. She'll, uh, before we get in a truck to drive all the way to New York, ten and a half hour drive, she says, Brian, now if you get tired, wake me up and I'll pray for you. And I'm, I'm, I'm like, well, well, God bless you. No, we were driving up to New York. The rest of the family, Peter, had fell asleep. I was just thinking, meditating, you know, and, and uh, reading over some cards that I had made some notes on. And, and it hit me. How much we diminish the force of the resurrection. Do you realize, folks, Evie, Shelley, Tenica, Romani, Panos, Dino, Tyler, Esme, all you young people that's here today, do you realize that the same Tim spirit that raised Jesus from the dead out of that grave lives in me? The same spirit, preacher Russ, that raised him from the dead lives in me. Folks, that ought to make us say, you know what? I can't quit. I can't give up. I'm going to forget those things which are behind. I'm going to reach forth unto those things which are before. I'm going to press toward the mark, God. Because if you were to quit, I know where I'd be. I know where I'd be. Listen, young people, you've got to know Him by His presence. You've got to know Him by His power. Do you know Jesus? Listen, God never performed a miracle for entertainment. Never. He performed miracles so people would have involvement. They would go out and they would say, Man, we serve a God that does great things. God never do any miracle in your life for entertainment. He'll do it for involvement. So you'll get off the bench and get in the game. But you not only have to know His presence and His power, but number three, and I'm done. Look at the latter part of verse number 10, Peter. He says this. He said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Now here's where we want to stop and we won't want to read the rest of it. 
and the fellowship of his sufferings. I'm going to give you one more point and I'm done. If you're going to know him like that, to where you can call unto him and you can have faith to believe that he is He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above anything you could ask or think. In order for you to have that kind of relationship, you've got to know Him by His presence, you've got to know Him by His power, but number three, you're going to have to experience Him by His pain. Pain. You know, I used to think pain was just a trial given to some people. But you know what I found out? I found out that pain is a gift from God. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 says, For it is given to you. Given. Is that not a gift? Given. It's given to you not only to believe on His name, but panos to suffer for His name's sake. You know salvation's a gift, but suffering's a gift too. Suffering is a gift. Pain. I've got a friend, Pastor Larry, his name's Jess Long. He's a good friend of mine. He lives in Wilmington, North Carolina. We went to school together for two years. He had to quit school because he found out it was, he was not feeling well. He, uh, he had just gotten married. and He began to get real tired and, and lethargic, and he went to the doctor, and they diagnosed him with multiple sclerosis. He's 33 years of age. He just found out just about a year ago he can't have children because of MS. I looked at Jess one day, and I said, Jess, you know, I... I know you're going through a tough time. Tim, he, he is his, he's one of the most upbeat, encouraging guys I know around, that lives around me. Steve, he came to me and he said, you know what? He said, I thank God for multiple sclerosis. Now, I'm going to tell you how spiritual I was. I went, do what? D do what? You thank God for MS? You know what he said, Penha? He said, yeah. He said, it drove me to Christ. It drove me to Jesus. What about you? I'm going to tell you this. God, the will of God will never take you where the grace of God can't keep you and He'll always give you strength to get through every trial, every tribulation that you go through because if He's on board the boat, guess what? It can't sink. If He's a captain, it can't sink. You've got you to be identified with His pain. His suffering. Pathos. His suffering. You've got to partner up with Him. With this, I'm done. I guess it was back 2001, beginning of 2002, right before I came back, uh, came here that summer. Of course, everybody knows what happened on 9-11. Well, my friend gave me an article about Rudy Giuliani, who, is the, who was at the time the mayor of New York City. Rudy Giuliani had such a burden for his firefighters and his police officers and his EMT workers that when those two twin towers fell, young people, I'll tell you how bad it was when they had fallen on 9-11. I didn't fly out to come here for the first time until August when we got there Tyler, some of the buildings were still smoldering almost eight months later. Peter, Rudy Giuliani, they say in the article, now I don't know if he was able to make all of them, but almost every funeral for every firefighter or every EMT or every port 
authority police officer that died in those Twin Towers. He went to every single funeral. Every one of them. Matter of fact, in this article it said, Dino, that he found out about a young lady. Her name was, her name was Donna, I believe, Garabo or something like that. She was an Italian lady. She had just gotten engaged and they were to be married. Her husband's a firefighter. He lost his life on 9-11. Lost his life. No, I'm, I'm sorry. It wasn't, wasn't her husband. It was her dad. It was her dad that died. She had just gotten engaged. Her dad died on March of 2002. Her wedding was to take place, but her dad was gone. Dad died in the 9-11 buildings. But do you know what Rudy Giuliani did? Rudy Giuliani found out about this young lady and he said, I'll be there to walk her down the aisle in her dad's place. When he walked her down the aisle and gave her arm over to her husband-to-be, he could have Panos just left the room because he had done his job, but he didn't. He sat down and he stayed for the whole service. You know what I think Rudy Giuliani was saying? I'm here for the whole thing because I want to be identified with the pain that this family's gone through. I want to ask you something. Is this thing of your Christian walk and your Christian life all about you? Because it better not be. We read a lot of verses this week about it being about other people. About other people. Listen, if you're going to know Him by experience, Gnosko, if you're going to know Him like that, you're going to know Him, have to know Him by His presence. You're going to have to spend some time with Him. Number two, you're going to have to know Him through His power. But number three, you're going to have to know Him through His pain. Through His pain. In shady green pastures so strong and so sweet, God leads His dear children along. Where the cool waters flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads His dear children along. Some through the water, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Old songwriter put it this way. He said this, When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the storms of life are raging, stand by me. When the world is tossing me, like a ship upon the sea. Thou who rulest wind and water, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. In the midst of tribulation, stand by me. When the host of hell assail, and my strength begins to fail, Thou who never lost a battle, stand by me.